This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's time for our Zoomer Squad. And there is only one story today, John Tory. And while I am anxious to hear what the squad has to say in terms of a high-level policy reaction, there are some very familiar and, dare I say, cliched Zoomer themes in this story. We've got a very long marriage in trouble as the spouses grow apart and a much, much younger woman in the picture. And I think the subject of dealing with challenges in a relationship are especially timely with Valentine's Day coming up tomorrow. And to all of you who don't remember how long you've been married for, I say, look it up before tomorrow. <laughs> the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now, time for the Zoomer Squad. And now let's go to Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer of CARP. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, everyone. Let's begin with David. So from a higher level policy point of view, do you think this will affect anything that affects older people in the city of Toronto, which is a lot of things? I can't see a direct cause. There were a number of issues that came up during the campaign, and I don't see uh, anybody coming in on the horizon, you know, jumping out at me that say, oh, my goodness, let's hope it's not this person or let's hope it's not that person. So I think the seniors related issues probably stay in place, we hope. And uh, I'm not aware that this would uh, drastically uh, affect the agenda of the successor. Well, no, I, I actually, I think it actually it might, might okay, but I don't know, but I don't know who about the this. Is. The, yeah, yeah, the uh, the the seniors' agenda, Peter. What do you think? Well, the you know, you you had the debate before the um, city hall election, and the the crop of candidates wasn't really that strong. I didn't think. Um, maybe maybe the ones who um, who stepped forward knew that Tory was winning, so so some of the big guns may not have come. But but I think I think there's a dearth of strong candidates out there right now, and um, you know uh, Tory was just going merrily along with his agenda, and um, and now uh, all of a sudden we're going to have a new face in there, and uh, it's a huge time in the city's history where things are declining, and I don't see any huge um, bright prospect on the on the horizon. Hmm. Well, uh, we have a guy who thinks he is a bright prospect who is going to follow you, you on this show. So we'll we'll deal with that uh, uh, in in a minute. Yeah. Bill, what do you think? Well, there is one. I, I agree with both uh, David and, and Peter, but there is one one very important point that caught our eye, and that is back last month uh, the city announced that. It was going to make uh, having the the budget a major proposal around having emotional care part of the uh, long term care homes that are uh, owned by the city and run by the city, and that's coming up for uh, budget approval. Still needs budget approval. The mayor seemed to be one of the only ones who was really pushing for that, and we would be worried with uh, Tory not being there that that uh, proposal might not uh, go through as smoothly. So that's one that our CARP members are really going to be watching closely. Mm -hmm. Well, there are 10 homes and uh, a program note. I'm going to be dealing with all of that in a subsequent segment of the show, but uh, it seems that Tory is in his office today. He has to officially resign, uh, but uh, I am wondering if the reason is there's a big budget uh, meeting and decision on Wednesday, if he intends to stay in place with his strong mayor powers uh, to get 
that through before he leaves. But, you know, that's a procedural discussion for something else. Um, there, there are, and there are other things that if uh, he is not in the chair, I mean, the, the left wing, you know, they might challenge police budget, the TTC budget. There was, there was a decision not to keep every homeless shelter open 24 seven, uh, for the rest of the winter. And uh, they might want to revisit that. Of course, I'm looking outside. It's going to be six degrees, you know. Anyway, uh, but moving right along here, I mean, here we have something that, uh, as the only woman in this <laughs> panel, uh, that, you know, be rolling our our eyes. And uh, it, it just seems like a, a cliche of uh, male Zoomerhood, though you can understand how it happens. I, I, I tend not to be uh, judgmental about things that involve sex and uh, relationships. And you can see he's working, he was working in an incredibly intense and tense environment in the uh, <clears throat> height of the pandemic very long hours. His wife, you know, I, I'm admittedly not that interested in, in those goings on. And, and so you can see how something like that happens. But the rest of it is like, again, you, you know, there's the younger woman. Um, where's the where's the sports car? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, you, you can't really I don't feel comfortable. And I know Probably a, my feeling is shared. Looking inside somebody else's yeah. situation, you know, who yeah. knows what goes on exactly in that marriage and what's acceptable or not acceptable. The problem is that he went for a third term, which he had previously said he didn't uh, intend to. Uh, I don't know that this relationship. I think I've read from one place that this mm. relationship already existed. Then somebody else said no, it didn't. But he went for a third term. He takes on a role. Uh, in his late 60s, and this is this is the Zoomerish part of the story. He continues a career. There's no retirement. I'm going to be a, at a busy, challenging, physically challenging, mentally challenging job. He takes it on, which he didn't have to. So he knew what the parameters were, and um, I guess he tried to finesse this somehow, and it didn't it didn't work. But you could question his judgment in taking on something, knowing how this was going to play uh, if it ever came out, and it did come out. Well, he thought he'd get away with it. I mean, right. I don't even, uh, you know, the, you see, you have to trust what you see reported, but what I saw reported was that she left uh, his employee sometime in 2021. And so if if it hadn't come out, by the time, you know, the campaign was in full swing in in the fall, this last fall of right. 2022, I, I think he had reason to believe that there was well, a, a lid on it. And um, yeah, I have to also say, from an age and female point of view, uh, people keep talking about the power imbalance. And sometimes that really annoys me. I mean, there are certain cases, obviously, where a woman feels coerced or whatever, but it, to a certain extent, it takes agency away from women. I would bet that the woman wanted this as much as he did. Women have sexual desires. And women, um, especially you're assuming a bright woman in a job like that, know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and so to, to, I mean, she will be a victim in this, no question. Uh, but, uh, because of all the publicity, not because of him, uh, you know, to, to, to say oh, that somehow a woman in a relationship like this is a victim. I don't know. I don't buy it. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think there's more to come, you know, like I, I, I think, I think there were like, um, this was a, was a, uh, a relationship that could have been explained away like Zoomer men do. And he could have survived it, I think. So I, 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 I genuinely think there's more to come. Did he favor her within his office? Did he give her promotions? Did he do that sort of thing? I, I, I don't feel this is a strong enough reason for him to 
resigned on, and, he, and especially because it wasn't against the law, per se. Okay, so here's, here's what I think yeah. on that note. So, first of all, I know John Tory not that well, but for a very long time. And he comes from a certain kind of class. Uh, and, you know, people talk about his brand, but there, there is a certain level of values the guy has, even if he was cheating on his wife with a staff or whatever. And I think part of that perhaps is that if you really mess up, uh, you take the consequences and you resign. And, I also think that, uh, I mean, there's a story in the star about all his advisors weighing in, but that he was thinking that uh, if he did not resign, everything that he tried to do would come down to this at least for a while. And who needs that crap? Yeah. Especially uh, at, at 68, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like whatever. I mean, uh, and, you know, there's also compare and contrast. Michael Thompson has been charged with rape. He is innocent until proven guilty, but the police and a prosecutor found enough to charge and make a case against a very powerful guy. And he just brazens it out. And every day I'm on Instagram and I see all kinds of people smiling and posing with him and reporters respectfully asking a question with no reference. But I mean, I don't think Tory would get the same treatment, but but it's, I you know, I I've kind of liked to see him, uh, John Tory, that is taking responsibility because that doesn't really seem to exist anymore. Now, Lastman had a fifteen-year oh, plus <laughs> a second family, including kids. Yeah, let's remember. Yeah, if you want to talk about brazening something up, well. Uh, I can't remember at what point in his career that came out. Please don't Even, bring it up because it, it caused, you know, mental pictures that are very hard to unsee and they are not pretty. But again, so, you know, there are certain aspects to it. I mean, and, and again, you know, probably for his family and uh, my personal opinion is that his third term was not going that well. And apparently he had advice saying, you know, most third terms don't. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. He, and he chose the moment to walk away. But you, he, you touched yeah. on it earlier. The brand, This the, the problem here was the clash with the brand, that he was this straight arrow. He was this steady, sober, you know, yes, bland, yeah. yes, not colorful, whether that almost became a virtue, you know, yeah. I'm the... It I'm was the a virtue, Ford. which he learned from his former boss, yeah. Brampton right. Bill. <laughs> I'm a steady guy, I'm yeah. either a reliable pair of hands at the wheel, yeah. and I don't stray in that sense, politically, so or then personally. And I think that clash, when it came out, how it came out, is what probably did him in, in a way. Well, yeah, but, you know, and also, but... but <laughs> The way in which he strayed would not be unusual no. for, uh, you know, rich white guys of a previous generation. It would, it would be fairly standard. It uh, certainly wouldn't be unknown. You wouldn't be swerving your car off the road in shock and surprise. Yeah. And, you, and, and, you know, even with all of this, I have to say that we were surprised and we were, I was surprised that yes. he resigned, but the more, I thought about it and, uh, you know, the way these things might go. So he could have toughed it out and had like uh, uh, a couple, uh, two, three weeks that were even worse than he's having now and, and then be forced to resign. So why not just get out ahead of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a couple of calls because uh, people obviously wanted to weigh in and people were going to be we're going to keep talking about this. So if I don't get to you, you can just stay on. Uh, Daryl in Toronto. Hi, Daryl. Hello. I've got about five or six quick points I want to make. Okay, too many points. Make <laughs> one point, Daryl. Well, first, firstly, well, no, there's a couple things because I don't think he should resign. Uh -huh. Especially, you know, this is 2023, not 1923. The cost of an election. He made a commitment he should fulfill it after everything Rob Ford put us through. This is nothing. I also don't believe that a 31-year-old woman is necessarily a victim. I agree with situation. that. Now, there's also the idea you mentioned earlier that the strong mayor powers are not transferable. 
that makes it totally abhorrent. We need a strong mayor to push back against the province, not to be their puppet to do it. I also am curious as to who broke the story to the star, who let this out. And uh, as you mentioned also earlier, Libby, that we are a creature of the province. And do we really want to see Michael Ford as the next mayor of the city, whether it's by appointment or by election with the conservative machine behind him? Well, uh, okay. Thanks, Daryl, for that. Um, uh, we are a creature of the province, and I'm, I'm, that's an extreme scenario, but, uh, in my understanding, and I, I will over the course of the next few days be talking to people who know more than me, that could happen. Um, I think, uh, very under, even more undemocratic. And, and, uh, let us take a very quick call from Jody in Toronto. Hi, Jody. Hi, Libby. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Mr. Tory has not resigned as yet, yeah. and I think maybe he may not resign if there's not a legal reason for him to resign. I'm sure that then why would he have made an announcement that he will? He said he might step down, yes, but he hasn't done it, and I'm thinking maybe he's just waiting for this investigation with his lady friend to go through. There is no investigation, as far as I know. And that might be another thing that he wanted to avoid. Uh, Jody, thanks for your call. Uh, As I said, I suspect that he has not officially stepped down because he wants to get this budget through. And it's coming up this week. Um, uh, I'm looking at the clock. We have to wrap things up because Gil Peñalosa is in the house and uh, waiting to talk to us. Uh, and we didn't even get to the broader uh, relationship Zoomer questions, but I think as long as I've planted something and people can think about it on their own. Uh, but uh, again, you know, I, there, there are calls from people, you know, saying he shouldn't resign. I think that there is a generational aspect here where younger people have a very different attitude than people of our, our own age. And, you know, like I said, this, I've seen this movie before, uh, of Zoomer men of a certain age, a certain class. Uh, and, you know, uh, what is there to say? And, and, um, he's paying a big price. I know there, the, the reporting, according to the reporting, there are people in his office just really pissed off because it was a rec, it was a reckless thing to do. And he obviously, A, had strong feelings and, and B, thought he'd get clean away with it. He certainly did. Mm-hmm. He certainly and, did. And I agree with Daryl. I, I would like to know how the story came out because, I've seen headlines where they're trying to pump, oh, we have the story, but they, they're they not telling. The and if, if I had the story, I wouldn't be telling either where it came from. I don't know. Would you, Peter? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, very quickly, let's go around and uh, 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 what would you like to leave us with, Bill? Seems like a, a local story, perhaps, to some people, but this is something that's being watched with interest all across the country, and we'll be interested in following uh, all that you discover, Libby. Okay, thanks, Bill. Peter? Um, Toronto's at a crossroads right now. It's it, uh, it doesn't have a mayor, and it has a lot of uh, civic issues that need to be dealt with quickly, so uh, we'll see uh, what his replacement can do. Okay, well, his, well, well, I'll pass the, some of those questions along to Gil in a few minutes. And David, last word to you. Uh, I'll go out on a limb and I'll say the last thing Doug Ford needs is to appoint the mayor of Toronto and get involved in this. Right. Does that mean he's not going to do it? I think he wouldn't do it. I, will, I think it would be a toxic climate for him to And then he owns the outcome. And why does he want that right now? Okay. Well, I hope he's listening to your advice. <laughs> I hope so. Don't do it, Doug. Don't do it, Don't Doug. Do it. Don't do it. Stay away. Stay away. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugridge, and David Kravitz and people. We will uh, have much more coverage on the John Tory story after the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. So, uh, what does 
Tory's resignation mean for the city of Toronto? And the positioning and speculation about the coming mayoral race has already begun. The latest parsing of the timeline would have a by-election around May, though I wouldn't be surprised if Doug Ford steps in to change that. I think the only person who has so far confirmed that he will run is urbanist Gil Penulosa. Our op- audience knows him well. He ran a very credible and lively campaign in the very recent October election. And of course, he came in second to John Tory. Let me give the numbers out if you want to call. We'll be talking about the Tory thing all show 416-360-0740. Toll free 1-866-740-4740. And Gil Penulosa joins me now. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Okay, so first of all, were you shocked by this? Yes, I was shocked. I think that uh, I was shocked because, uh, well, he... I wouldn't have been as shocked in other things. For example, I think that when he was negotiating with Ford, the mayoral powers, in the middle of the election, uh, I think that that was really bad. But I I would not have been as shocked because four years before, he was negotiating reducing council from 44 to 25. And now he was negotiating mayoral powers. I'm shocked is that these things are not coming out. Like when he negotiated mayoral powers, I'm sure that it was a team of Ford and a team of Tory. It wasn't just the two of them on the cottage. Also, this issue of this affair with someone that I was working with for him, it's been for more than a year. It was long before the election. It was during the election. It was after the election. So I'm sure that dozens and dozens and dozens of people knew about it. I mean, he went with her to apparently to New York and Chicago. Well, and he Austin went with whole Europe. teams of people. So you, you're saying? I think many, many people knew about so it. You were so surprised. why is it that it it had not come up before? Yeah, that's that is kind of interesting. How come it came out now? Uh, and uh, I, inquiring minds want to know, as I yeah. say, <laughs> um, yeah, this, this, this whole issue of it being with a staffer, it actually does not surprise me just because of the intensity of working, uh, during the very height of the pandemic, which was so stressful and intense that I sort of get that something happens with somebody who is working these very long hours with you and knows exactly what you're dealing with, as opposed to his wife, who apparently is not that interested in politics and whatever. Yes, but nevertheless, he was 29. He was uh, 67. Uh, what a was, shock. It, it, that never no, happens, Gail. No, no, no it, it was the boss, the direct. <laughs> I, I think mo- way much more than the affair is that the, is to be uh, the direct boss. I think that, that that's one of the, and I don't, I don't really know. I, I heard the, the people you were speaking with before that said that maybe there was something else. I think there was, there, there, there was something else that might be coming out or that would have come out. Uh, I think that I was a bit surprised that he he got the the final emails from the Toronto Star like at two p.m. in the afternoon asking for specific details, and six hours later he was calling a press conference saying that he was going to resign. Uh, I think I don't know. I th- I think that I, I thought he would handle it differently. I mean, we just came from another mayor just before yeah. him. Yeah. That he was doing cocaine, he was doing crack, he was buying it on the streets. Yeah. There were tons of videos. This is a different person with different values, mm-hmm. and also, you know, honestly, when I think about it, it I think he. Uh, first of all, the way those things usually go is that uh, you have an unbelievably miserable time for a bit, and then you are forced to resign. So you know, it's like, uh, why go through that? I mean. Right. But also a certain, I think, value that you really mess up. Uh, you take responsibility, which is something that we do not see enough of in public life. 
Well, I hope that, that that was the case and there was nothing else. But of course, it's very, I, I think it's very bad for the city. I think it's very bad for him. I think it's bad for his family. But also, I mean, it was something that was common. Like when the Toronto Star started talking about it was because uh, there were lots of rumors of divorce months ago, yeah. months ago. It, it, it wasn't last week. It wasn't that his family were, was not aware of it. So, but I don't know, but I, I think it's, I think it's bad for the city. Yeah. But 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 I hope that when people were so concerned Friday night, I hope that they re- they saw that Saturday morning the song came out. Uh, <laughs> it was not it's not the end of the world. I think that it's a done deal. I think that we need to focus more on the present and the future, and realize that um, that that Tory will not be mayor anymore. Okay. So. One of the things that Tory got very high marks for was his relationships with the other levels of government. And uh, even another thing that way back shocked us was how that he and Doug Ford were bitter rivals in the elections. And they're, they're like, it's a, a bromance. So um, what has been your dealings with Doug Ford so far? And how do you think you would get along with him? I think I would get along very well, both with Doug Ford as well as with Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, I think I would get along even better because I think it would be a respectful uh, relationship. I think that the relationship between Tory and Ford, he, I think Tory abdicated the city to Ford. I think that even the mayoral powers, the mayoral powers are powers if and only if they are aligned with the provincial goals. Uh, so, so I, I, I don't think he has stood his case, whether it's Ontario Place or whether it's at the Eglinton West LRT. I think, uh, I mean, anybody can have a nice relationship if you are giving, 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 giving and never taking. But, but, uh, t- but it takes a lot of money though, and yeah, we need it. <laughs> we need it. Yes. No, I, I, I think that I would have a very respectful and, and good relationship. I mean, I like some things that Do you Ford, know? I, I, I like things that Ford has done. For example, I think the housing, I think the municipalities across Ontario have failed or, on increasing housing. So I think that the fact that, that Ford came out and said, Hey, this is a crisis. We need to do something. I'm totally against taking one meter in the green belt. I think it's horrible. Okay, but having just, him going into housing, I think is good. Do you know him? Have you had dealings with him? No. And Justin Trudeau, do you know him? No. No. But I know some, some ministers of both. I also have worked in over 350 cities, at least in half of them directly with mayors. Uh, so I've worked with a lot of very powerful people, uh, both in Canada and around the world. Uh, and there's... Uh, Getting to the meat of things, I think that we all agree that very basic things in the city have deteriorated. And one of the things that's the latest be in my bonnet anyway, uh, and, and this is, you know, like we're, we're seeing all this violence on the TTC. We're seeing the homeless crisis really bad. Um, is, is the issue of, public spaces like i think we have to reclaim our public spaces uh personally like i i'm totally okay with having safe safe injection sites but really why do you have want to have it right next to a a spot that's supposed to be the main public square in the city because i can tell you um last few times i was down there it was scary i'm not going back uh, to try to park in a green pea where uh, there's drug use in the ante room and what's going on downstairs is even worse. So do you have a view of how do we take back our public spaces? Yeah, I, I think it's critical. Like I said, I think public, that means that belongs to everybody. It belongs to, so everyone should feel safe and comfortable. So, for example, I, I I think that I'm running because everything that I was saying a hundred days ago is still valid and even more urgent. Last week, city council voted against having warming centers 
So the people that are actually freezing on the streets, if there are no warming centers in the city, where are we forcing them to go? To go to the streets, to go to the buses, to go to the subways, to go to the Tim Hortons, to go to the libraries. And then people complain and say, oh, I don't want to take public transit because there's too many people sleeping on the on the train. There's people uh, sleeping on the stairs. Well, if we don't provide something as basic as a warming center, where do they expect them to go? So I think that if we have safe warming centers, that, uh, then it's going to be very, then people are going to have a place to go and then you will not see people sleeping on the, on, on, on the buses or the trains or the Tim Hortons. Uh, Gil, uh, we're running out of time. Uh, very interesting conversation. So what would you like, what would you like to tell people? Why should they vote for you in the upcoming? Well, because I, I think I have the experience and I have the knowledge. I have worked in over 350 cities. In the case of older adults, for example, I, I've been working with older adults over 25 years. I've been hired by mayors and governors of more than 22 states in the U.S. to work in issues around older people. It's one third of our lives. And I do think that we can live older, healthier and happier. I also think that issues such as housing, I think we put a lot of emphasis on the province and the, and the federals, but there's a lot of things that we could be doing in the city and that we are not doing. I think that the city hall has failed. There's Suburbs. I think the city hall is face, uh, it has failing also uh, new Canadians. I think that we can have a Toronto for everyone. When I ask citizens, what do you think of the city? The, the young people say, oh, it's good, but for the older. I ask the older, say it's good, but for the younger. I mean, everybody thinks it's good, but for someone else. <laughs> I think we can have a city that is really good for everybody. Okay. On that note, we wrap things up. I hope you'll come back again soon. Very interesting conversation. Gil Penuloso, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, we're taking a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk to three current counselors about uh, what uh, they see happening going forward and what their plans are when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, what does John Tory's resignation mean for the city of Toronto? He is in his office today and he has not officially resigned. Is that because he wants to get his budget passed? That is coming up on Wednesday. And presumably, it's a slam dunk if he is still in the chair with strong mayor powers. If he is not, there's lots of speculation about left-wing councillors moving to change some key aspects like the police budget and last week's decision on homeless shelters. So people, what do you think? 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. And joining me now, Toronto councillors, Paula Fletcher, Ward 14, Toronto Danforth, Josh Matlow, Ward 12, Toronto St. Paul's, and Brad Bat- Bradford, Ward 19, Beaches East York. Hello, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. Good to be here. Uh, so first of all, I have to ask the question, starting with Josh, are you going to run? I don't know. It's a lot to take in from a big announcement on Friday night. There's certainly a lot of conversations happening, but I, I, I honestly don't know yet. Brad Bradford, are you going to run? Uh, you know, I'm actually really focused on the budget this week. Um, it would be way too early to say this is a really important week for Toronto, I think we're all processing the events of last Friday. It's a lot to reflect on. Um, but there is a lot of concern about how the city moves forward, what that looks like, and, uh, and what that leadership is going to mean for us on a, on a go-forward basis. Are, are you thinking about it? That, that is uh, what I've been hearing, actually. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about the budget, and I'm thinking about how we move forward. Uh, I think, and we'll probably get into this conversation, but there's still a lot of things up in the air. Uh, phone calls are happening, text messages are flying, but you know that, I'm not unique to that. There's a lot of people having those conversations right now. Um, but honestly, the priority is the next few days. The budget is such a seminal document. It is so important for us to continue to deliver those frontline services. Uh, you know, crime and safety is really important for a lot of people. Top of mind and uh, transit and housing, all that stuff is here in the budget. And, um, you know, with with all the uncertainty right now, we're not exactly sure how that's going to play out. So 
that's where my, my attention and focus is for the next few days. Uh, Paula Fletcher, are you going to run? Well, I haven't considered that yet, but since I think Brad and Josh are both running and being very coy with you today, who knows what's going to happen. Um, so it is uh, the week that was, Libby, that's what we'll look back and think, oh my gosh, it's starting to remind me a bit of a previous mayor. Okay. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. So uh, uh, both uh, Brad and Josh have very uh, coyly referred to the budget. And uh, as far as I know, the mayor hasn't officially resigned yet, which means he still has strong mayor powers to get this budget passed. Are you assuming that that's what's going to happen, Brad? Well, I don't make any assumptions, but, um, you know, Bill 3 did change the budget process a little bit here. It, it was a it was a budget tabled by the mayor on February 1st. Um, but, you know, it's not all that different. It, this started last spring, well before any legislative changes. We have a professional civil service here uh, at City Hall, which shapes the budget. And then we go out and there's thousands of opportunities and engagement from Torontonians. Um, and that shapes the budget and, you know, budget committee and all the conversations we have. And then it'll be in front of us this week. And there will be more amendments. And, you know, that's the role of all of us as a council. I just hope that we can find uh, find this as an opportunity to come together as a council and, and make sure that, again, we're protecting the frontline services uh, we are keeping people safe in the community. We are building the housing. And, uh, you know, we're united in finding a way forward. It would be really unfortunate if, if this descended into, you know, circus and grandstanding and, uh, you know, not making sure that we're getting the things done that, uh, that people elect us here to do. Josh Matlow, are you planning uh, to put forward any amendments to the budget? There, there are a number of councillors, including myself, who are having active conversations about um, making the budget better and, uh, you know, exactly who moves what we're, you know, we're having those conversations, but the reason we're doing that is because, um, you know, regardless of the mayor's announcement on Friday night, uh, before that, and and we remain this way, that we we don't believe that this budget's good enough for Toronto. Um, it's only ostensibly balanced, uh, that there are hundreds of millions of dollars based on assumptions that, the province and the federal government are going to come and bail us out, and that has not materialized. And if it doesn't materialize, it means that lots of basic maintenance of our parks, our roads, and other priorities are going to be deferred off to the future. Um, and I also, you know, I'm very concerned that the standards for a lot of services, everything from, yes, providing warning centers for people who are in the cold and have no safe place to go, to even, you know, snow clearing and much more we can do better on. So um, I think we can do a better, we can make a better budget. And, uh, but, you know, in a way, regardless of the, you know, the, the bombshell announcement of the mayor's resignation on Friday, um, this, this would still be happening because we should have uh, a really thoughtful uh, debate and a healthy friction of ideas. So we can, you know, we can, we can arrive at the best public policy. Are you planning to, are you planning to try to reduce the police budget? I don't know about that either yet, uh, because they're, um, you know, even amongst councillors who uh, agree that uh, we need far more uh, investments to address the roots of violence in our city rather than uh, react to it. And, you know, we, we really do want to focus on prevention in healthy communities. Exactly how we do that in this budget is still under a lot of discussion. So uh, we will we will see. Uh, Paula Fletcher, uh, what do you think? Do you think that this budget uh, will pass as is now with John Tory still in the chair? Or do you see um, what some people are worried about will be it devolving into a sea of proposed amendments and changes and chaos? Well, I hope we'll be able to find some common ground here, as I've said, and I don't think anybody can dig in and say there can't be any changes or everything has to change. We need to act as a council, and there is $6 million still left to be spent, and there's probably some changes that will be coming. And I did hear what Gil was talking about, Libby, and people talking about going into dirty stations in this TTC. Folks that go on the subway, it, it's filthy, and there's no cleaners. There's no people in the boxes. So what are we going to do as a city to kind of raise the standards? And I heard that you talk about that, too. But I want to just say one thing is that 
the strong mayor powers that the mayor unfortunately secretly went to Queen's yeah. Park and asked for during the election make this legally his budget it is only the mayor's budget so we should just be very clear that in the mayor strong mayor powers that he asked for and Ford gave him uh, means he can veto decisions he can pass the budget yeah. without a majority of councillors he can he can pass bylaws through minority rule this I think was John Tory's first mistake and a lapse in judgment as he's called it and it's quite distressing that we're finding ourselves in the soup now because of him requesting these very undemocratic powers. So I don't think anybody's going to blow things up. And Brad, I've heard Brad say the left is going to blow the budget up. I don't think so. I think that's a mischaracterization. I'm hoping that he will be open to making some changes. People across the city are speaking out and saying we can't have people freezing to death or out in that horrible rain last week. We've got to create places for people to go. That's just one of the bottom lines, Libby. Um, So my understanding... Is, is that the province has said that these strong mayor powers are not transferable. Do any of you yes. have a little more clarity on that? Does I don't it mean they are? And what about for even for Jennifer McKelvey? They're when, not transferable. I not think to when anyone. this was written, it was written kind of quickly. The mayor asked for it. We came out of the election. He said, I've asked for the premier for these things. I don't believe they're transferable. I looked into that. So we're now sitting in a place where for the budget, at least, which is the mayor's budget, his budget, we have a little bit of a problem. So I think he will have to come there. It's not as clear as I'd like, but that's what I understand. So with an acting mayor, they would not have the full powers. We may have to go back to democratic rule in the city of Toronto <laughs> instead of yeah. one man rule in the city of Toronto, Libby. Um, the, the other thing that I'm wondering about with all of this uh, given that the city is basically the creature of the province, given that the premier of the province has not hesitated to wade in and change things. So, uh, I mean, could that, you know, I think the by-election and the rules for the by-election, they're part of this strong mayor power legislation. So uh, do any of you have any insight on whether any or all of that might change brad bradford well i'll be honest with you i haven't really looked into that because again i'm focused on the work that we have to do this this week and in the weeks ahead but uh city of toronto act typically stipulates all of those things the, the need to declare the office vacant the time period in which that declaration is made and then a by-election bylaws are drawn up i don't know if that changes in in the world with respect to uh bill three and the strong mayor powers but you know, we have had a historic process for by-elections, and I'm assuming something similar will follow here, a special election across the city. Josh? Uh, are you asking, do, do, do yeah. we think that the Premier will intervene again? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's, that's what I'm asking, or uh, if you have uh, anything, uh, anything to, to say on this subject. Well, okay, a couple, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, like, actually, uh, objectively speaking, in, in fairness to Mayor Tory, um, while, while he did secretly request the strong mayor powers to have uh, the ability to move uh, uh, by, you know, pass bylaws with a third of council rather than uh, democratic majority rule, I, I, uh, the, the ability for him to propose a budget uh, rather than it being like a council budget was, I believe, part of Bill 3, which actually was transparently discussed even before the municipal election. So I don't, I, I don't know for a fact if he sort of secretly requested that to be fair to him. Um, that being said, though, um, uh, you know, we're always wondering what the province is going to do. You know, often they make these unilateral announcements, whether it be the council cut or uh, the strong mayor changes or, you know, all sorts of changes that have removed even the ability to, uh, you know, for much needed revenue to the city. And, and that's why I, I remain uh, resolved that we need not, not so much strong mayor powers, but we need a strong Toronto. We need the ability to have uh, like legislative ability to actually make decisions and move forward with an agenda for a city rather than always begging the province for abilities or getting surprised by what they announce and that we have to react to. 
it's just not a, it's not a good way to have a functional government in a in a successful city. And yeah, I, but and that's I think what that's what we've got. To change. It's what we got, but it doesn't mean it always has to be that way. And I think that you know, rather than like, I guess I just I, I regret that the mayor used he had such a he had such immense political currency, and I just regret that that currency was used focusing on the strong mayor and not so much. Um, uh, 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 you know, I say this kind of rhetorically, a strong Toronto. What, what I mean by that is, like, actual, like, charter ability to be able to have real say over everything from revenue to governance to land use planning. Um, and I just think that we'd achieve our goals better if the preponderance of things that we passed to council didn't have to end the sentence with, we are asking the province for well, I think uh, a, a lot of people w- would like that, but uh, I personally, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that will be on the table with this government. Um, that's fair. That's fair. That's I, agree. I, agree. I agree with you, Libby, but I would not support a candidate for mayor that didn't say, like the Ottawa mayor, I will not use these powers. These are not powers I asked for. Not using the veto, not using the one-third. It can be council's budget to restore democracy in the city of Toronto. That's what I'm looking for. Brad Bradford? Well, it's interesting in in listening to Josh's comments there and kind of about how we got here, and I think all of us should do some reflection. Um, What was the genesis of this legislation? You know, I think anyone who's had interactions with city halls trying to do business here over the years probably has an understanding that sometimes it takes too long. Sometimes there's lots of delays. Uh, you know, when I was here, I worked in the chief planner's office. I was staff at the city of Toronto. And I would see lots of colleagues obstruct and delay things when it came to housing or when it came to transit. And this government came in and, you know, they're swinging a sledgehammer, that's for sure. But I think when they respond to things like transit... You know, it's actually a good idea to have a regional transit planning agency. Now, execution is a different story. Uh, I think there's lots of room for criticism there. But taking a regional, all-day, all-direction approach to transit, harmonizing fares, um, having that, that lens that goes beyond the city borders, that's important. And same thing when it comes to housing. You know, like our housing policy, objectively at the City of Toronto, if you go back since amalgamation, has not kept pace with the need to build housing. We have, you know, half a million new Canadians coming to Canada every year. Many are settling in the GTHA. Many of them are settling here in Toronto. And we don't have the houses. We don't have the affordability. We don't have the supply. So I don't think it's a bad thing to objectively look at that, ask those tough questions, and what could be improved. There's not necessarily one way to do it. It's not one silver bullet, rather thousands of points of innovation. But, you know, I think we have to objectively look, hey, things are not necessarily better today. They're not necessarily better post-amalgamation. And what changes do we need to make as a city? Let's have some humility about that. What's the relationship like with other levels of government? And how do we accomplish the objectives when it comes to housing, when it comes to transit, when it comes to affordability, as all three levels of government rowing in the same direction? Uh, I'm just shocked, Brad, at your interpretation of Metrolinx and a highly bloated institution, huge wages, not contacting people, and overrunning the TTC that actually had a plan for the for the downtown relief line, taking it over. I just the characterization of that is extremely troubling to me. Okay, I, I just I don't know wait. Let me. I, well, we don't I have a lot. Can I? Can I yeah. jump in with a with a question? And uh, my question, I brought this up with Gil Penulosa, and there is a feeling, and frankly, a little bee in my bonnet about we're losing our public spaces. How do we take back our public spaces while still helping people who need to be helped? Because we have a lot of no-go zones here, and a lot of them are in places like Dundas Square, which is supposed to be the center of the city for everyone. Josh? How do, how do we reclaim our public spaces? Yeah. Yeah, like... Uh, the, I, in the I, context. 
in the context is like you, you go down to, uh, try to go to a green pea parking lot there. There's, uh, drug use in the ante room. There's things that are worse going on in, in the lot itself. And the same thing is true in a lot of public spaces, uh, th- that people just uh, want to avoid. Are you, are, so you're alluding to people who are, who aren't housed? Uh, I don't know if they're housed or not. They might be using drugs. They might be unhoused. But and and uh, I'm all for helping them. But uh, you know, I just, I just wasn't. I just wasn't hearing clearly what you were describing. Well, I mean, if if, if that if, if that's what if if that's what you're alluding to, what, what I what I suggest is, I mean, the real like the real way, the, the ultimate way to address homelessness is to ensure that people have access to housing. And in some cases, it means supportive. In some cases. Uh, for some individuals, it means whether it be mental health support, addiction support, you know, every individual has a different path and a different story. But even the places where there are, you know, there are supports provided, it all depends on how it's, it's, it's uh, delivered. And there needs to be sufficient wraparound uh, services to make sure that it's done well, that the clients have, uh, have what they need, but also that's a safe environment for everyone. And the city, I think in some cases, uh, they've done a good job. In some cases, they failed, uh, admittedly. I've been through that in my own community and, you know, where, where it wasn't delivered well. Um, so and rolled out well, but it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't have to happen because, because we as a society have not done a good enough job over many, many years to ensure that there is access to housing for people who need that access and to ensure that there's affordable housing and to ensure, and this isn't just the city, frankly, and I think all of us would agree that every level of government has not done a good enough job within their purviews to ensure access to addiction support. And, you know, in mental health, I can tell you, I know middle to upper middle class people who can't navigate that system, never mind somebody who, who, who might be on our streets. So, it's, you know, there's a lot that needs to be done, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be providing those services and support. Okay. I'm looking at the clock. We're basically out of time. I'm going Can to go around the table. Put people 20. back into the TTC, put people cleaning on the platforms, put people in the fair collection, put people in the green pea lots, put people back. Eyes on the street, Libby. Brad? Pardon me? Sorry, last 20 seconds to you. What are we expecting in the next little bit? Uh, well, it, it's a lot of uncertainty, but we do have to get this budget passed. I think all the politics aside, people want us to protect frontline services. They want us to build housing. They want us to respond to the spike in crime and community safety, and they want us to work together to get that done. So I hope that's what this week looks like, uh, and then we can talk about the future after that. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about the future many times. In the meantime, thank you so much, Councillor Josh Matlow, Councillor Paula Fletcher, and Councillor Brad Bradford. Thanks so much. Thank you, Libby. Be well. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Paula. Okay. And uh, that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.